episode 164 of the Bevan James Hour Show, an interview with John Quinn. Right here, team, welcome along to episode 164 of the Bevan James. I'll show you a fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime of exercise so that you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Pretty excited today, I've got an interview with a, a guy by the name of John Quinn and he's basically a mental skills coach um, and i uh, got some pretty cool insight. And next, he, One thing I like about John is he actually comes from an area of working in kind of social work and working with kids who've you know, have struggled with life, and now he's working more with high-performing people, and you're going to see in the interview, he's got some pretty cool insight um, just around this area, so we're going to get into that pretty quickly. One thing I do want to say is I got I got a really, a lot of good feedback on the last show, uh, the, the, what was it, what was the name of it, let me pull it up here, it was called um, The Distraction of Getting Started and Just Diminishing Your Insults. Uh, and I just I was talking to someone, I can't remember who it was, talking about it, and they were just saying, it's just sometimes interesting, you, you, you reflect, you don't necessarily understand how your life is different to somebody, and in many ways, um, just someone said something to me, um, I've got very good parents, I'm very lucky to have very good parents, and my parents, yeah, well, all families have things that are good and bad, like my family, one thing that's really great is, there's this, always this understanding of unconditional love. You, you know, my, my family is always taught um, that you accept everybody, you, you, you try to learn the person. Like I remember like my mum, my mum's an impressive woman, my family is impressive, but my mum's an impressive woman. And I remember one of the reasons she's impressive is that she kind of always fights for the small person. And I remember as, as being a young, you know, I remember being like four um, and meeting a gay man. And, you know, and this is like 1982 where, you know, there's still a lot of stigma around society. And, and like, it was not a special thing. It wasn't made a special thing. But, you know, it was, I was just taught in my life that, you know, gay people are just people and, you know, there's nothing wrong with gay and, and all the rest of it. And I remember just, you know, this kind of... Um, that, that, that you just you accept people is kind of one of the things that is installed in me as a person. Uh, and so just that, you know, also my mum's often worked with people who uh, don't necessarily get paid a huge amount of money. Um, low-skilled people is probably a good way of putting it. And she is the person who will always fight for those people in their roles, in their jobs, fight the people above her to make sure that they're looked after. And she's just got this real sense of what is right and wrong in regards to how you treat people. And it's one of those things that, in many ways, I, I feel lucky in my life that I I don't go around necessarily judging people. Uh, I really don't. It's, it's, and I think that's a real... Healthy thing to have in yourself, and um, and I remember even years ago, one of my friends going back to the gay thing. I remember one of my very good friends when I first started working at the gym, uh, he was gay, and um, and at the gym, someone put on the locker, uh, Bevan. I, I did, I got pretty, I got in a pretty good position, I did well at my job pretty quickly, I got kind of 
pushed up the ladder very quickly. And my manager was gay, who became a good friend of mine. And basically, in the gym, so this is like this is quite quite out of it when you think about it. In the gym, someone did graffiti in the toilet. And and my gym's not like, you know, my gym's a classy gym. No one writes on toilet doors at my gym. And someone did graffiti kind of implying that um, Bevan, the only reason Bevan's being successful is because he he's a boy that a gay guy likes. Or, you know, it was basically implying, you know, and in some ways could make me be concerned if I was against gay or against homosexuality you know, it, it could imply in a way that could put me off. And and to me, I just kind of laughed at it. I just didn't, it didn't bother me at all because it's like, well, you know, like who cares? Uh, but I remember my friend later on said to me, it was the first time, you know, because he was a gay man at a time in his life, which that was a challenging thing, you know, like nowadays we're a lot more open to these kind of homosexuality and kids. I think the gay children of today have a lot more, of an easier path, not saying it's an easy path, but a lot easier path than maybe those in the past. And uh, and my friend had a lot of scars from a very hard high school period. And he was so concerned that I would reject him because of my concern about, you know, how people would see me in this way. And, um, and, and again, to me, it was nothing because I was brought up with this thing of we're all fear and we're all kind of human and, and what my parents instilled in me. Um, and, and he just later said to me, it was just such an important moment in his life to realize that, you know, that people will just accept him for who he is. And I, I suppose I didn't really think too much about that, but it was quite nice to know that, um, just what my appearance installed in me allowed me to, um, help someone else feel accepting of themselves. Now, now, while I'm talking about my family in a real positive light, one of the things my family could work on is sometimes setting some slightly higher standards for ourselves. You know, my family, academically, we haven't been a a hugely successful family academically. Um, Although our next generation, some of my nieces are coming through in a way that are, you know, are getting there. Um, But, you know, and in many ways, in some ways, we don't necessarily kind of say in our family, we we don't kind of put ambition forward for our younger kids and and so it's definitely something that you know I try to do with my daughter and my nieces and nephews and and it's kind of happening more as we move forward so all families definitely have their strengths and weaknesses and you know no family's perfect and uh you know that's what I uh, you know family's a funny thing isn't it you know family's a funny thing and and, and the thing about families is it can often touch nerves uh, that you can't touch and you get touched anywhere else in your life but it was just interesting after uh, last time's episode in the episode I talked about when I failed school and how my father said to me um what did he say he said you know like he was really proud of the fact that I was really good at a music show that I was really good at pop culture that's right because I was telling the story about Joe not being good at pop culture and someone who I was talking to after that show said oh you kind of don't realize how lucky you were to have a parent who would have done that because I can't remember exactly what they said but something along the lines of my parents would have been just really, you know, I would have just been a failure and it would have really um, reinforced a lot of what was wrong with me because I had this kind of judgment upon me from my parents. Um, and it was just, it was kind of like it was, A, it was nice because I had parents who, you know, wanted to look after me at a time where it failed. Um, but B, it was just one of those moments where you kind of, you know, we live in our own little bubbles, don't we? Like we really do. And in so many ways we kind of think the world's similar to our experience of the world. Uh, And I I think intellectually we know that's not the case, but, you know, we kind of forget how sometimes things have really worked in our favour. And it was nice to hear someone else say to me, oh, you don't don't really, you know, you're pretty lucky to have that. Um, And 
I probably hadn't thought of that. And so not really sure why I'm sharing this with you, but it's just one of those things where sometimes it's maybe important to think about those things in your life that you do have that maybe you don't see that are actually pretty cool. And for, for one, me, one of those things is that, you know, my parents are going to back me. You know, even when I failed school cert, you know, like even when I failed the most basic level of education, my parents still wanted to support me and say, you're all right. You know, now, um, you know, luckily I've got down the other path, but but more importantly, I, I suppose my point is, while we can often see all the things that are wrong in our life, sometimes it's good to see also what's good in our life. Um, and that can also just help us sit in a better space. So... I hope that kind of makes sense. It's kind of which I went down a random path right there. I'm gonna put John Quinn on really soon, but before I do, I wanted to say a big thank you to all the patrons. So if you want to become a patron of the show, so the Bevan James Isle show is patron supported. So what that means is the listeners of the show support the show happening. They pay for the bandwidth, they pay for the website, they pay for everything that happens. But also they just support me in kind of spreading a message which I believe is a lot different to what most people are talking about with health and fitness. And so if you want to become a patron, go to bevanjamesisles.com and go to the podcast section. In there you'll see become a patron, click on that, go through the process. And what happens is each time I do a show, then um, you will contribute a little bit of your hard-earned money my way. And each time you become, a, anyone who becomes a patron gets a cool Bevan James Isle show nickname. And so what I'll do right now is I'm going to pull up my little list of nicknames. And these are people who already are patrons of the show. And I have Wendy... The Rockstar, Wendy, I said your name last show, but I'm doing again. Wendy the Rockstar Schaefer. We've got Louisa the Queen, the Kitchen Queen Crosby. We've got Ella Boom Boom Powell Green. We've got Darren Dangerous Busain. We've got Sarah the Oracle Hill. And then we've got Scott ACDC, or as Australians would say, Akadaka, Scott Young. These people are supporting this show, and if you want to become a supporter, go to bevanjamesisles.com, and that way you can support me in what I'm doing. Next up, I've got an interview with Scott Quinn. So Scott, sorry, John Quinn. Where did Scott Quinn come from? Um, John Quinn is the owner and runs the performancewellbeing.co.nz, performancewellbeing.co.nz. A little bit of his background, he's currently working for High Performance Sports New Zealand, Crusaders Rugby. Now, Crusaders Rugby is arguably the most successful we could say sports team in the world right now. They they basically in the last three years have been lost up four games. They've won the championship three times. They're very successful. Uh, the New Zealand rugby, New Zealand bowls, you know, crushes cricket. He works with teenagers, and he works with mental skills, leadership, mentoring, and wellness in the workplace. Um, I just love people speaking to people like this because people who try to help other people build better versions of themselves often have a lot of great insight and that's what John has. So I'm going to put some music on and here is my interview with John Quinn. Okay team, I'm pretty happy to have a man by the name of John Quinn on the show today. He's a man who's doing some pretty important work around uh, health and mental performance and high level performance and all of these types of things. So welcome along to the show, John. Cool, thank you. Thanks for having me. So maybe just start with a bit of your own history. Um, look, I, I suppose initially I worked in, in uh, working with young people in social services through government departments and community agencies and then 
Uh, after that, I went back and to, to do some more study, and that got me interested in, I suppose, the performance part of things and mental skills and sports psychology. So the last sort of 15 years, I've still worked in education, but also in high-performance sport around uh, mental skills, the ability to perform at the top level. And probably over the last three to four years, we've started looking at that well-being piece um, within performance because we know that's a key factor to it. It's probably one that hasn't been looked at for a while. So um, last sort of 10 to 12 years, we've been through rugby, cricket, um, netball, athletics, lots of different sports around, I suppose, the ability for the athletes to perform on a consistent basis. Mm. Well, one thing that really fascinated by is, is because you've kind of worked in quite different realms. You know, I imagine when you're working yep. for the government with youth, it was a lot of troubled yep. kids. And now you're working with athletes who are really trying to find those last few percent. Um, what's, yep. it, what's, it, what's it like to go from the old world where it's probably trying to help people who maybe don't even see they have problems or are very resistant? Like, how do you create change for those types of people before we kind of dig into the more high-end stuff? Um, look, athletes are no different at times. I mean, especially around the mind mind side of it. And I think we've been lucky um, in New Zealand the last sort of fifteen years with the work Gilbert and Oakes done with the All Blacks. He's really um, normalised mental skills, especially in rugby. And I think other sports are getting hold of this now too. So, and then with Kerry Evans' work um, with the All Blacks, sort of from two eleven through to now, and the success they've had, people are now putting a higher um, I suppose, higher value on, on the mental side of the game because in the end of the day, everyone's getting um, just as fast and just as fit. Um, tactics are you know, reasonably similar. So there's certainly more of an emphasis on, on mental skills and the sports psychology side. Mm. I look at um, high-performance sport probably 10, 12 years ago, had maybe one full-time staff member. Now they've probably got maybe 10 full-time uh, in this space. So not only now do they see the performance parts, but they also see the well-being part. And obviously the last couple of years has been from reviews and high-performance sport, and they've realised they've actually got to really address this as a um, as a skill tool and a, and a tool that athletes can use because it's, it's a very demanding uh, career. Uh, it's a very um, unsettling and uncertain career. So, look, the reality is we still have a culture in New Zealand around um, – you know, asking for help is not a strong point for us. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you're working with a 15-year-old who, who's maybe had some issues or a 25-year-old athlete. At times, it can still be hard um, to get them on board. But from my experience, you know, especially from an athlete point of view, the ones who invest in this space seem to be the ones who tend to be a bit more consistent um, within their performance. Um, and look, sometimes it's they're not ready to learn, and it's the same with working with young teenagers. You know, They're not always ready to, to change and not always able to change sometimes. So it can be a bit of an age thing sometimes. What, um, so someone comes to you, what's the kind of the process you're going to take them through um, You know, in the first few stages? Is this from a mental skills point of view? Yeah. Performance? Yeah, yeah look, if it's an individual, you want to get a whole picture of it. I mean, I do. So I kind of work across teams as well as individuals. If we're working within a team, the, the key relationships with the coaches, um, because most of us in this space will be part-time. We might have a day to work with a team or whatever it is over over the year. You might have 40 or 50 days, so you're in and out of the environment quite a bit. Um, so the coaches are the key part to it. If we can get the coaches on board and they can be reinforced, reinforcing the messages. So... It's initially speaking with the coaches and getting clarity about what they need, um, where, where the areas they're strong at around the space and where the areas they want to work on. And it's probably no different from an athlete. I mean, athletes don't um, get to the top on their own. They often have a, a team around them. So I caught up an athlete this morning who's just come back from, from Europe with some good results. And again, he's got a, a really clear tight team, whether it be three or four people in that tight team, then there'll be a slightly wider team. So initially it'd be working within the team to work out 
um, where everyone's up to and, and get consistency with what we're trying to do. And then it's almost just going with the athlete and working out, okay, where are they good mentally? What's some areas they do really well? And what's some areas we can potentially work on um, to help them improve performance? So it's certainly not a one-size-fits-all. I suppose we'll look at um, the four key areas around what are their foundation skills? So what are the key things they need to kind of build a really strong foundation to perform from you know, understanding their values to understanding um, their why for doing it to their habits and their routines and the things they need to do. Then we start looking at, okay, well, what sort of mindset do you actually need then to, to maintain that? And then we start looking at well, what's from there, what's the skill set, what are the knowledge you need to perform at the top level? And the last part was kind of the relationships. What are the key relationships that you need to, to grow uh, and enhance and make sure those things are going well to perform? So we kind of just kind of go through a process around that and kind of build a bit of a picture. I suppose the number one thing is, is the relationship. Um, if we can't build a relationship with an athlete or a coach or a team, well, um, we're pretty useless to actually do anything. So the relationships. And so basically you do an assessment to see where they're at, you identify where the strengths are, and then, then from there you kind of provide them with tools that are going to help them move forward. Yeah, it's almost like a bit of a warrant of fitness and going, okay, what are you currently good at that we want to keep doing? Yep. You know, I suppose we almost work backwards. Um Get them to understand, and look, we all, I suppose, work differently in the space. But for me, it's around almost a solution-focused um, way of working with them. You know, get them to understand what do they look like at their best and when they perform. You know, what does that look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? And then it's almost the ability to work backwards from there and go, okay, well, when you are at your best, what allows that? What are the things that you currently do? Because what you're going to find is most people actually know how to do things. We know how to eat well. We know how to sleep well. We know how to train, but we choose not to. Yeah. For many reasons, you know, we're not very rational people, we're emotional. So it's really kind of backtracking a wee bit and just kind of highlighting when they're at their best and why, so it's not an accident. Um, there's actually intentional behaviour which allows that. And then it's around how do we actually create a sustainable lifestyle, because it's not a diet, you don't go on a you know, diet for six weeks and lose weight, it, it's about creating a lifestyle which allows you to be consistent with that. And um, like the top athletes, from my experience, they're just more consistent than most of us. Um, they will look to be... Um, you know, 8 out of 10 most weeks, not 3 out of 10 one week and then 8 out of 10 the next week and then 2 out of 10. They're generally pretty consistent with their routines, their habits, their preparation, their mindset around things. So it's just helping them create a, um, a lifestyle which supports that because at times it's, it's really hard. Well, it is really hard. Mm. It's a tough thing to do. I mean, there's not many um, – I went into a business the other day and I said to them, well, you know, who here wants to be the best in the world at their job? And none of them said they wanted to be the best in the world. But every time with an athlete, that's what we ask them. Yeah. You know? How do you become the best in the world at what, what, what you want to do? So it's a real different mindset, and it's a really challenging mindset. Um, and that's why there's only some people who are the best in the world. Well, also, one thing I imagine you have to deal with is, you know, like you look at athletes nowadays, and, and particularly in, in very, um, you know, very popular sports, that they just, they're so in the public domain and they're so up for criticism um, you know, and it's like if most people would have somebody watching them do their job, you know, most people are going to get a pretty hard time. And you know, like if you're a rugby player in New Zealand, it, it, like what happened with the Crusaders this year when they went to South Africa? Now yeah. I, don't, I don't know much about the incident there, but the reporting of it was pretty massive. And so it's not just the kind of performance side; it's the emotional side of being somebody in this position, isn't it? Oh, look, it's 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 tough. And don't get me wrong, you know, rugby is a good example. So I work within the Crusaders. You know, and I remember one of the boys said to me one day, he said, it's like going for a job interview every week. And if you get the job, you then reapply. Yeah. You know, so it's if hard, you just imagine, 
Oh, and we're dealing with young men here who are 20 to 26, 28, you know, and that's really tough. It's a real vulnerable place to be. Imagine turning up to work on Monday and your boss going, actually, look, last week you didn't quite have it. Um, you didn't quite nail it off, so you just need to go away and work on something. And you're kind of going, well, what do you mean? What do I work on? Yeah. Well, we'll work on this. Someone else has come in. So it's, it's a really tough gig for them, and then on top of that, it's very public. So most people will have, you know, one appraisal a year if they're lucky, and it would be in a room with your boss and maybe one other, and then no one else hears about it. Uh, I just did a session with some of the boys before, and it's like, you know, I know how their week's gone by Saturday night because it's on the back page of the paper or the front page the next day. So it's quite a vulnerable place to be, and mm. that's why we're trying to do a lot of work and really separate and put things in place for them, and that's where we're lucky a lot of sports. They have a player development manager or an athlete life advisor to give them other I suppose, pillars of what success looks like for them, whether it's through their career, whether it's through study, with relationships, all these other parts to who they are because, um, you know, a, a high-performance athlete's life is often quite short um, and it's incredibly demanding. So it's it, it's a tough gig. As I said, they don't perform. Social media have a, a, have a field day. Um, well, and and you, you also bring up a good point there is, is that, you know, the, the life after. And, you know, like I always think about... Um, you know, the, use sport to create a successful person, not necessarily create someone who's been successful in sport. And once they leave sport, they're kind of this hollow, yeah. you know, and we've seen yeah. many examples of both of those. I mean, I suppose what you're saying there is if you can develop the person to have many aspects to themselves, it's a much healthier future moving forward as well. Look, it is, it's not just that's just not about performance. We know if they do that, their performance will generally improve too, but it's actually about their well-being, which again is very cliche, and I think rugby started this a few years ago when they talked about better people make better rugby players, and I think generally they, they, they try to hold to that, and they're not perfect with it, because no one is, and I think other sports are looking to follow that. Um, you know, vehicles are great, uh, sorry, sports are a great vehicle for developing these characteristics, because um, the reality is it doesn't matter how good you are, and for most sports it's a reasonably short career span, so we actually want them to have the tools to manage beyond it. So, like as I said, it, it's a uh, it's a great environment for them, but as I said, it's incredibly challenging mentally um, because, as I said, you're always on edge and you're always being judged. Uh, and you're not just being judged by your peers, you're being judged by the whole of New Zealand. If you're in a you know, a, a Crusaders or a Canterbury cricket team or a netball team, um, but I don't think people really understand what that's like when they hop on their keyboard and put their comments on about it. I mean, that's, that's a tough gig to take consistently. You know, we talk about all this, all these kids and teenagers bullying and cyberbullying. Well, look at what the adults do. That's what they learn it from. Yeah, yeah. So, what are some? Of, you know, when you see people make massive shifts forward, what is what are some examples of techniques that they actually use to actually help people? You know, when you see shifts. Yeah, look, really good question. I think the key one is one we can't control is maturity. Um, you know, an 18-year-old sometimes doesn't get it till they're 22. There's always some outliers. I still think 22 seems to be the age where generally most of our athletes kind of get it. Um, I, I suppose the key things, the tools they use, and it's going to sound really boring, but they get more organised and prepared. They understand what their preparation looks like. You know, the clarity of what their goals look like. Um, they stay reasonably consistent with what their prep looks like. Um, they've got clarity of focus, so they understand, okay, when I play, this is where my mind needs to be. They have clarity around processes, around managing mistakes, around managing pressure. They understand how to preview, review. They say, uh, my experience, the top athletes just do the simple things better than most other people. It's not the complex stuff. Um, you know, most sports are pretty basic. But what they do is, as I said, they're 8 out of 10 each week. You know, they turn up to train at 8 out of 10 most days in the sense of they, they train really well. And it's almost... 
I look at some of the athletes I work with who do very well. I mean, their lifestyle to a point is boring because it's very regimented at times. There's always outliers to it, but generally it's it's pretty structured. They get up at similar times. They train. They eat the same stuff. They go to bed at the same time because that's what they have to do. So it's really creating those really healthy habits and routines, which it's not the answer people want. They want um, the magic wand. Yeah. Um, to this but it's the reality of it I've seen it over and over again it's not the most talented athlete that makes it it's the one who's prepared to, to persevere the longest So because um, it's hard you're saying that with, with athletes and, and it's that kind of it's you know we all know that consistency is key to success but it's kind of even digging deeper into figuring out what what those kind of pieces of the puzzle that you need to be consistent with I and mean, a lot of people listening to this aren't top end athletes so what would be your advice to them who you know, maybe are overweight and, you know, can never really stick to a diet or, you know, they have all good intentions and, as you say, they know what they should do but they never really do. Yeah. What would be some advice you'd give to someone like that? Oh, look, the first thing you got to understand is your why and this is something we do with athletes a lot is it's really unpack. Well, if you so if you want to get fitter, for example, understand why. If it's for someone else, you won't do it. You know, that's why when we were teenagers and our parents said, tidy your room, we didn't do it because there was no why. We didn't really want to do it, so we'd chuck stuff under the bed and hopefully that keeps them happy. Yeah. And so what we talk about is moving from have to to want to. Okay? So if you have to do it, you generally won't. If you have to eat healthily, you won't. If you want to eat healthily, you will. And the key thing around that is that, is that shift, and what we want is really quick shift. There's always these you know, three-minute abs a day, and yeah. this is how you get fit in two minutes. It's like, well, there's no shortcuts to this, so... Well, you know, to, to the general people population, that's what I've learned, is they can do this. It's just hard. I think people, we want it to be easy. Mm. And then if it's hard, I think we feel we're not coping very well because everyone else has done it easy. But, you know, the top athlete, it's incredibly hard what they go through. So if people understand hard's okay, and if we look to improve 1% a day, so say, for example, what will help a lot of this, as you know, you know, a good night's sleep. So just look to improve your sleep 1% a night. Do that seven nights a week, there's a 7% improvement. So you're not, if you go to bed at 11 o'clock, don't try going to bed at 9 o'clock for the next week because you won't. Just look, little improvements on a daily basis, set simple goals, have a buddy to support you because it's hard, be compassionate towards yourself because you won't get it right all the time, you know, and, and just be realistic about what you want to do. So if you want to get fit, you know, as you know, it takes months and over a year sometimes to get properly fit. So don't set yourself up to fail by, going to the gym two weeks in a row expecting change. It's not going to happen. But it's creating a schedule which will allow you to do it because if you go in there and go, right, my new goal, I want to get fit in three months, I'm going to go to the gym five times a week, well, you probably won't. So set a goal and a routine which is actually sustainable. And then what athletes do is they just put a high price on it. And so that's that mindset shift around, you know, I want to do this because I want to do it because I'll feel healthier, I'll have more energy, um, you know, I'll be able to do these things with the kids or my partner and just understand it's going to be challenging but almost almost that growth mindset part of it, look forward to that. With, with you say the why and, and, and sometimes what a lot of people will talk about is, and this is a slightly different a- angle, but, you know, you hear a lot of people say, is, oh, I just don't have my passion. You know, and so, you know, I don't have a patient life because I don't know what I'm passionate about. And, and I imagine some people listening to this will say it's easy for the person who has their why, but I don't have my why. So what's a way that people can kind of start to spend some time to actually put that in cement? Yeah, look, it's a really good question. I, I, look, I agree to a point. Some people don't know their why, but um, sometimes it's the ability to okay not knowing that um, and actually just looking at something smaller. I mean, you don't 
have to be passionate about something. What you have to be is determined. Because um, often we want to wait to be motivated to do things. Well, you're not always going to be motivated to do something because your brain, we've got to remember our brain's there for one thing, it's, it's for survival. That's all it wants to do. It wants to survive and it will take the easiest option to survive. So what we've got to try and do is overcome that at times. And so sometimes you still have to be determined. And it's okay that not feeling good, but you can still go for that run or not feeling good and still make your lunch for the next day. So again, it's just shifting our mindset around what successful people look and feel like because I think at times we see successful people and social media portrays this all the time but we see all the good stuff mm. you don't see the stuff you know it's like you know the rugby boys or the netball girls I mean everyone saw the netball girls win the final and everyone goes oh my god how amazing they are but no one saw the last nine months and what they've had to sacrifice what they've had to put up with how hard they've had to work all those things that they've had to do to get to that point so we've just got to remember it's hard it doesn't matter how good you are at this it's like fitness it doesn't matter how fit you are it's still hard because you get to a level and then you want to get to another level and it gets hard again. So it's just shifting that mindset around, look, if anything worth achieving is, is going to be a challenge at times, but it's looking forward to that challenge. So, look, if you don't know your why, that's fine. But just create a little why of, okay, well, why do I say fit? Why do I want to get fit? Because I want a bit more energy. Cool. Let's just start with that as a starting point and just break it down to small, manageable bits. I think at times we try create big goals and then they get too far ahead of us and so just simple things each day um, create change you've worked with the crusaders and and for those for the international listeners crusaders is a rugby team based in christchurch where i live uh and in the last three years they've won a pretty global competition i've been a very very successful team i've only lost a few handful games in the last three years uh, and very renowned for having this pretty special culture and we've talked a lot about kind of the individual side of it but Talk to us a little bit about what the culture is from your perspective and why do you feel it's so successful? Oh, look, there's not one thing. There's, there's been many things and there's been many people before me who have done some amazing work to set it up. Um, look, the Crusaders is a good example of um, a franchise. I mean, what they've had for a number of years is good people. Uh, and that's from the office staff to the coaching staff through to the players. And you, you can't put a price on that in the sense of cultures – People drive culture all the time, whether it's positive or negative, they're driving it. And we've been very fortunate. We're not have we had good people. We've had some very good players, very good coaches, and very good people in it. Um, again, we have a lot of teams and individuals coming through this place to see, you know, what's the secret. And um, there is no secret. Um, people just work really hard in the culture. Um, they do the little things really well. The players um, generally show an interest in each other. Um, they spend a lot of time together. Um, they put a lot of pride in the culture, and they, and they work really hard on it. I mean, think about culture; it's hard. Mm. And good culture, there's conflict. And good culture, we don't always have to get on with each other. But good culture allows those conflicts and things to happen. So, look, there was values put in place 20 odd years ago, and those values are still in place now. And we've got individuals here that live and breathe those values. Um, so they look to recruit on that culture. Um, we've had a very successful academy system. Um, I think Steve Hansen was actually potentially the first person that set that up. Um, then it went to Matt Sexton, um, Richard Smith, and now it's Aaron Webb. So we bring young guys through and they are selected on their character um, because in the day we can teach them skills, but we can't, it's harder to teach character. So the culture's embedded at a very early stage with the young ones here um, and they come through. And look, winning creates good culture too, to be fair. Mm. Um, it certainly allows um, things to, to move forward when you're successful. So Look, I know it's going to sound basic, clarity of vision um, is one thing, um, clarity of values and clarity of behaviours, and they put a high 
price and those behaviours. And we've had some, you know, incredible leaders who have driven that stuff. So, again, people want the, 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 the simple answer to it. There's a combination of many reasons the culture is strong here. And, and, and to me, because culture to me is kind of, well, maybe it is written, but it's that kind of unwritten rules of how we're going to behave as a group of people. You know, towards yep. and within, you know, so towards each other and with it, within each, um, with yourself. And, and it seems like what you're saying is that's also, um, you know, there's a standard that we're not going to. There's no kind of dropping of that standard in this group. Oh, God, there is, but it's yep. picked up on. That's the difference. Yeah, I mean, yeah. in the, the day, as I said, good culture still has the same challenges as bad culture, but good culture they pick up on it. Mm. Um, look, the key thing around some of the things that the boys have done, and other organisations do this too. So it's not like we're doing it better, but we're held up as doing it better because we've won. Yeah. Now, there's lots of teams I've been involved with who have lost everything, but we've had great cultures. I mean, mm. I've worked with the Tactics Network team for a number of years, and we've had some real challenges, but we've still had some really good culture at times. Um, so we've got to get clarity around what good culture looks like. What we have here is individuals who are prepared to do more more for the team than themselves. Um, and they do simple things around a lot of mentoring. The guys look out for the young ones. They've got a lot of coffee chats. They're really proactive and really kind of creating that glue because at the end of the day, when we get to know each other better, we start to understand each other. When we understand each other more, we tend to not judge. We tend to have a bit more empathy because we actually know how the person behaves. So the guys just informally connect a lot. Um, a lot of the guys live together. They all live very close to Rugby Park. So... It's just those little things that don't really come out in reviews. Um, I've not really seen if someone came in to watch it, but you get a good bunch of young people uh, in the same direction on the same bus, you're going to get some bloody good culture going, and we've been really fortunate that they've, they've done that over a number of years. What do you think it, mean, um, it takes to create a great leader or to be a great leader? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. Um, look, I think leadership's a really overused word at times, and I think we get confused what a good leader is. I always think a, a good leader basically is someone who, who knows how to follow as well as lead. Um, I think someone who, who um, you know, is clear on their values and what they stand for and they're authentic to those values and they're prepared to, to actually lead those values. Um, often we talk about self-leadership task and team. So the, the initial part, you have to be a self-leader. You have to be able to role model the behaviours you want. You have to be able to know when to talk and when not to talk. Um, and then it's about how do you then start driving that into a task and to a team. And we've been incredibly fortunate here. We've got some amazing leaders and you know it's, that's the exciting part next year for the guys is there's a whole new group coming through. Um, but leadership for me is basically, you know, someone who, who who's, can live their values, can be accountable to those values, and can be authentic. Doesn't mean we always won. Again, I've been involved with some teams which have performed poorly, but had great leadership. Um, so sometimes we confuse um, great leadership with, with teams winning. I don't know at times that is the case, but mm. there's some really good leaders out there in sport and the community who do amazing things, but we don't really acknowledge that because. They haven't won things. Um, so for us, look, again, it's just that character stuff. Good leaders are people that you respect and generally they're people that care um, and they have a sense of, you know, reasoning, good sense of their own EQ and their self-awareness. Mm-hmm. One thing, one thing um, you know, again, <coughs> going back to earlier on, you are saying how, um, you know, you started your career in more for the government and youth. One, one thing I get a lot of, I, I, you know nothing about my, me, John, but basically I was a bit of a dropkick and I turned my life around. So it's, I've got a good story, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. And so I get a lot of parents coming up to me struggling with teenage boys and young young men. Um, you know, there's a real concern 
and and probably because people know my story and I'm quite public about it. Um, so and and because I'm a man, so I'm sure the you know girls have got their problems as well. But um, to me, it just seems to be at the moment for some reason a lot of young men are struggling in society, and that kind of you know late teens to early adulthood. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And what are some of the things that as a group of people we should be thinking about trying to encourage our young men, or maybe even females as well? To, to help them kind of navigate this time in a wiser, less damaging way? Oh, look, the first thing, and again, it will annoy people, we've got to actually start parenting. Um, parents forgot to parent a few years ago, and I don't know why it happened or what happened, but it almost became a race to whose kid can be the best kid and the most kid on Facebook and win the most prizes. So part of it, what parents got to understand is parents create kids. Society doesn't. And so we need parents to start taking control back of the kids and, you know, going back to the old school stuff around values and getting clarity and spending time with our kids. I mean, we're all guilty of not spending enough time with our children. Um, and I think the problem now is that, you know, most parents are, are dual both working. Um, so we're not really spending time with the kids that we're used to and actually supporting them as we go along. Society's changed, particularly in Christchurch. I mean, our young kids have had um, have had earthquakes, fires, and terrorist attacks. So that's that's quite hard for our kids to get their head around. It's hard enough for us as adults to get our heads around. So we actually need to spend more time with our kids. Um, that's the reality of it. We've created a bit of a generation of kids who are not that resilient because our parents, it's a very general comment, are going into schools and, you know, fixing things for them and helicoptering things and not allowing kids to fail. I mean, we've got to... The only way you can create resiliency is actually going through something. So we've actually got to have a situation where our kids are allowed to fail um, and our kids are actually allowed to fail in the safe way that it's actually they understand failure is part of life. But if you change the word from failure to learning, then you actually never fail. So we actually need our parents and, you know, for our young men, particularly our fathers, to step up. We actually need our young men to have really good role models because currently their role models are on Snapchat and Instagram. Some of those things aren't great. Um, you know, we've lost control of actually knowledge for our young people, so we can't control what our young people are exposed to because of the internet. So it becomes even more important we have spent time them to educate what does a relationship look like, what does a real man look like, all these things where before, when I was getting brought up, it was it was channeled in because we had TV1 and TV2, so that was it. So mum and dad could actually control what I watched and what I didn't watch. Mm-hmm. Now you've got no control over that. So... Look, it is something that really worries me, and I see it a lot in schools, and I see it a lot in sports, where parents just get too invested in their kids, but they don't get invested into the right ways, the right things around it. So we really need our parents to step up across the board um, in this space, because we are creating kids who um, are incredibly anxious, uh, insecure, we're creating kids who aren't very um, resilient, and the ability to bounce back. Incredibly talented kids, um, but we're getting them, and you know, we don't we get, you know, good athletes, we get them in academies at 14, 15, 16, 17 years of age. We're actually not letting them play and be kids. And then we're getting kids to, you know, diversify, not diversify, you know, specialise in sports too early. And so there's all these things that are happening to our kids because youth sport now is a, is a multi-billion dollar industry. Mm. Um, so what we need is our parents to stand back and go, let's let our kids play. Let's let our kids take some risks. Let's let our kids actually be kids, but support them along the way and walk beside them. Um, but I think we've almost forgotten to do that at times. I think another thing on top of that is that kind of the parents wanting to be the friend, not the parent. Um, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know and so yeah. the, the idea of boundaries are easily kind of dismissed because parents would rather just be the friend than actually do the hard thing. Look, 100%. And look, you know, I've worked as a counsellor in a school for 15 years at different times, and the message is really clear from kids. Look, they... 
they want mum and dad to be parents. They don't, they've got enough friends. Um, they don't need any more friends. And half the time they actually want their parents to say no to things, but the parents don't. So as I said, it's just really clear for parents to understand that you know, the kids respond to boundaries and that's what they want. You know, they don't want their pictures stuffed all over Facebook because they've won some certificate or some award. They actually just want time with their parents. And we are very time poor at the moment. All of us are, but we've got to get better at doing that. And even if it's just 20 minutes at the end of the day where you sit down and have a chat to your son or your daughter about how their day was, but really actually have a chat. You know, ask the questions about what was the best thing about today and what are you most proud of today and what are you most grateful for today and, you know, what are you scared of for tomorrow? Because these kids have – it's a very confusing world for our kids out there because it's so, there is so much uncertainty. Um, around, you know, the, the quote around by 2040, whatever it is, you know, 80% of the jobs, whatever it is, or 47% of the jobs currently won't be here. So we keep telling kids all these stats. Then we say to the kids, but by the way, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they're going, well, how do I know what I want to be? Because half the jobs won't be there. Mm. Um, so, look, it just goes back to that basics. Unfortunately, years ago, you were brought up and you had your parents there. You probably had your grandparents close by, aunties and uncles. But now we haven't got that, you know. Generally, we haven't got that. There's certainly some we have. So we just need to really spend time on our kids and actually build some really strong relationships with our children because that's what they're looking for. When you're doing your work, what makes you most proudest? Oh, that's a really good question, actually. Um, look, I'm really... I'm just proud if I can do a good job. I mean, when I say a good job for me is, is me doing it, not what they do. So I don't necessarily take any satisfaction if a team wins or a team loses or an athlete does well because I've got no control over that. Um, look, if I can create a really healthy relationship with an athlete and I can give them some tools which are helpful, I'm pretty proud of that job I've done. Um, because, again, you know, some of the best work I've done, I've been the most unsuccessful in the sense of outcome um, around it. So... Look, I'm really proud of the people I've met. I'm really lucky. I've had some amazing mentors and, and people to work with. And look, in the day, I, you sit there in the sheds that, you know, whether it's cricket, netball or rugby, kind of go, I mean, how good is this? You get to, to watch top athletes at the, you know, the, the peak of their performance and you're in there. Um, you know, sometimes you've got to pinch yourself at times to go, how, how cool is this stuff? So I'm incredibly proud of, of where I, what I've done so far in the sense of I've had some really cool experiences and I'm really lucky that I've got a wife who's very understanding and very patient um, and allows me to do what I do because without that I wouldn't be able to because I said it, it's, it's unsocial hours, it's weekend work, it's nighttime work and it's all over the place. So um, you're probably most proud of actually still having a family together at the moment. So it's, <laughs> always, a good, it's always a good start. A question I always love to ask people who are kind of in, in, a, in a role where you're helping other people is, is where do you struggle with this stuff? Oh, all of it. I mean, we just did a mindfulness session with um, with a team just then, and I said, look, guys, this, this stuff is really hard. I mean, it's, you know, one of my big issues is organisation because I keep saying yes to things and I've got to say no because, I, you know, I love what I do, so I just keep saying yes the next minute. You know, I'm booked up for three weeks and there's no break. So I, I, we all struggle with this place. There's no one I know who's nailed it. Um, but what we're trying to do is if we can create some awareness of it, then I can get better at then self-managing that, basically. So, look, I was sitting the other day talking to someone, and I reckon I'll probably work with thousands of people from, you know, the kids and bits and pieces over the years. And, but we're all the same. We all have the same insecurities within reason. We all want to be loved. We all worry about what people think about us. We all get scared and anxious and I think... If we can understand that and normalise that stuff, I think we can just create that bit more vulnerability for us to actually put our hand up and go, hey, this is this is quite hard. Um, you know, if I walk out of here now and I trip over, I'm pretty happy to go, shit, you know, I hurt my ankle. But if I walked out of here and I was really upset, I, you know, we'd, we'd hide that because we're not 
we're not ready to accept that sort of stuff. So um, I struggle with all this, you know, and it's a, it's a challenge. Um, but I enjoy that challenge because it's not about the same with athletes or anyone. It's not about getting it right all the time. But if I can get it right eight times out of ten, I'm in the game. A bad week, it might be five times out of ten. If I can sit between five and eight on a consistent basis, I know I'm kind of performing okay. Uh, it's not about trying to get this done perfect. And I'm lucky, you know, I've got a wife who reminds me and I get it wrong because I need that sometimes. Mm. It's easy to get caught up in the work and then put all my energy into work. Energy for people who need the energy, you know, family and friends. So, um, yeah, look, to answer your question, I get a lot of these things wrong, but I'm getting better at trying to get them right, basically, and that's the key part. It's hard. One thing, it's really one, hard. One thing you said there, um, which which I love, and it's, it's how I try to look at everyone, is that kind of the understanding that we're all we're kind of fundamentally pretty much the same. Uh, you know, sure, right. we have different opinions and stuff, but I just love that. I, I always try to look at the world in that way because, you know, in this world where there seems to be so much division and, uh, you know, like horrible stuff happening because people are just looking at other people as they are the problem. Um, I think yeah. that when you can actually just look at the world and go, you know what, we're kind of all pretty much just trying to figure this shit out in the same kind of way. Um, and it's pretty similar yeah. stuff and we just want love and family and all the rest of it. Um, and it helps us to remove barriers as well. So I think that I, I normalise um, the thoughts we all have. And Mike King does a pretty good job around the inner critic and goes into schools. But I think we all think we're the only one that feels this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're the only one that has these thoughts and feelings. But the reality is, as you said, within reason, we're all the same. Yeah. Uh, we all battle the same things at different times. I think the more we can normalise it, I think the better it is for all of us. Yeah. And, and as you said, by allowing myself to be vulnerable, I show others that I am that and allows others to be that. You know, and so it builds more human oh, connection, doesn't it? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Look, at, look, it does. And I think. You know, this isn't just a guy thing, it's, it's a female thing too, but particularly with guys, you know, we just need to, to really um, just keep pushing that vulnerability bit. And it doesn't mean you've you know, you got to walk around crying every day, but I think we've got to understand it's okay to feel the way we are because life's hard at times. And if we can just get our young men particularly to understand that's okay and they can talk about it. And again, talking about it doesn't fix everything, don't get me wrong, but it allows us to get it out there and there may be some other options around it. So I think if we can do that better, it's, it helps everyone. Um, if people want to work with what you guys are doing, where, where do they go? Um, tell me about your, you know, your website and all the rest of it. Sorry, mate, you just broke up. Then can you say it again? Uh, so, so if people want to work with uh, you and your team, where would they go? And uh, you know, just give give yourself a plug. Yeah, look. Oh, look. As I said, we work at Performance Wellbeing, so it's just dub 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 dot Performance Wellbeing, one word. .co.nz and like most of our focus is working within businesses um, with young people uh, and obviously athletes around um, performance and I said that's performance whether you're a weekend warrior whether it's around whether you want to improve your performance at work or, or whatever it is it's, it's all the same stuff and that, that's that's what I love about this work is that I get just as much satisfaction out of watching a, a 14 year old watch the penny drop as I do watching you know the Crusaders win another championship because it's um, it's incredibly rewarding work Mm-hmm. Well, you're doing great work, mate, and I uh, appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Perfect. Thanks, mate. Speak to you soon. Right, so there is the interview with John Quinn. If you want to check out his work and want to go to his website, you can just check out performancewellbeing.co.nz and I'll put a link to that in this week's show notes. Hopefully you've got some good insight in there and just some little tidbits that you can take away to work on in 
your own life. Uh, just, just quickly, um, I just last time I did this big kind of intro about me getting into weights training um, and how the next step was me to go to a mentally higher place and um, and to do that I need to find a training partner and I have and it's actually been I haven't actually started I went to Suli who I actually had on the podcast a while ago and I said um, well I actually put it on a post and he came back and said he can do it so I'm going to start with a training partner I just want, I'm going to keep you as a part of this experience because um, it's a, it's an area of habit and an area while I'm good at exercise, it's a new area. I just think there's some good little insights that I'm learning as I'm doing this. So the first goal was consistency. I've ticked it. I haven't missed a session in three months. The next goal is intensity and going to a higher place, which I'm not really at by myself at the moment um, in, in, this, in the weights room. So that is why getting a training partner, is the ne- which I believe will have a big impact on that. And also I've chosen a training partner. And this is an important thing. Um, one thing I wanted was a training partner who I knew set high standards for themselves when they trained. And Suli is a guy who he's not there to muck around. Like he trains hard, and uh, and I wanted someone like that because you can get training partners who almost pull you back. And with training partners, to me, I always think you've got to choose someone who's who's going to help lift you up. And there's this responsibility, and maybe I could even do a show on this: is how to choose training partners for exercise. Um, so yeah, I've got this other thing, I've, a tool I've added to my life recently, um, which is having a massive impact, um, So, but I might even do a show on it, so that might be the next show, the new tool in Bevan's life. Anyway, that's me done and dusted for this episode of the uh, Bevan James Oil Show, if you enjoy the show, please share, one thing that really helps is if you go on your iTunes, your Spotify, or anywhere we can add a review, if you enjoy the show, can you please do that, because it just helps get the awareness out for the show. Also, tell your friends, put it on your Facebook feeds or the social media. And if you want to become a patron, go to bevanjamesisles.com and just go to the podcast section. And again, thank you to all the people who are patrons. It's a pretty cold, wet day here in Christchurch, but luckily I've done my training. And luckily, I'm about to go out for mate's house tonight. We've got some friends' night out. So it's Saturday night. I've recorded this a little bit early, so I'm going to have to have a good night. Anyway, you guys have a wonderful day. And as always, keep being you.